Unicorns are magical creatures who, legend tells us, are rarely seen, but known by all. They hold our imaginations because of their scarcity and the miraculous feats that they are said to perform. But what's the source of a unicorn's magic? If the legends of old are to be believed, nothing truly magical comes without a cost. To gain something truly rare, truly valuable, we must sometimes be able to give up something of equal value. This is also true in business, where fantastic success is celebrated publicly, but the sacrifices required often go unspoken or unnoticed. What does it take for a business to reach unicorn status? And what drives those in leadership positions to make the sacrifices necessary to achieve that level of success? This is Zero to Unicorn. Last time on Zero to Unicorn, we discussed the final days of Ed Kading's life and the massive impact that he left on his family and the business that he left behind. We returned to the story with Mike and his wife Alyssa picking up the pieces in the wake of his father's passing. After that, I was pretty much on my own uh, to make this a reality. And that's where I became CEO is when he had a stroke and was no longer able to keep working. We really just had to figure it all out on our own. And it was kind of, it was chaos. And it was definite survival mode. We were not thriving by any stretch. Um, at the time, we also had a large project in a new city we were trying to get approved, which was not going well. Um, but I think the only reason they took us seriously is because we had Ed and we had his 40 years of experience. Well, without Ed, they saw Mike and I as these two little, what were we, 27 year old kids that like, we had done projects before, but you know, our, our youth and whatever kind of was working against us at that point. I don't know why, but we felt like we had to do it all ourselves. So, especially that first two years after his dad passed away, it was like round the clock working. Um, we really didn't do anything else. The only time we weren't working is we would once in a while take a long weekend to go visit my grandma or my cousins out in Denver. But we would work and then go to sleep and then work again. <laughs> Ed passed away in the midst of the Emberwood project. And now, without his father's guidance, Mike had to work with the city council to finish that project. And then we went through the planning commission meeting, and I did that one on my own, but uh, it didn't go super well because I pushed what I wanted and not what the city was in support of. And part of what I was thinking was like, well, I'm just a kid and I don't think people take me all that seriously. And so my dad and I then did a, um, a workshop meeting with the city council, kind of showing off more details of the project and he really helped lead that one. I think he was pretty nervous as well going through that. I don't think he ever loved city council meetings. Um, so then uh, we 
got through an initial city council approval process that went all right um, after I made some changes and learned the lesson of following what the city staff recommended. I was really beat down to a pulp at this point. Um, then we got to a point of being able to break ground, but even to get that approval, the, the uh, county had some documents that had to be stamped and approved and if one little dot was wrong, they would just reject it. And I I would just go sit at this county courthouse a half an hour away. In fact, I thought about getting a hotel room a few nights just to stay out there, uh, making sure we could get these documents done into the city. We got them done and we broke ground. Um, and it was it was a slog, the whole project. Um, we... Uh, I had a company out there to clear the trees, and of course they didn't do a very good job of cleaning, clearing the trees, and I was doing that to save money. Then we had to hire a, a much better company to come out, but the first company had made such a mess <laughs> that it ended up being more expensive for us in the long run. And the crew we had at the time, it was, it was just a few people, and most of us really didn't know what we were doing. We were really, we were really inexperienced. And I think the city saw that. I didn't really want to believe the city at the time. I wanted to believe we were better than we were, but we weren't. And uh, there was a point at which the city shut us down. Uh, we had a block company, Lay the Block Foundation. And when I originally got this priced out, I had a block company spec to do the work. And then just a month or two before we needed to lay the block, they bowed out and said they had some other project they had to do. It was really a chaotic time. No block company wanted to come to our projects. And the ones that were willing to were two or three times more expensive. So we literally just started calling every block company in the Twin Cities. I had a list of 70 of them. I got to a point where I would uh, find it on the computer, see the phone number, start dialing the number, pick it up, and, and just try to have as many phone calls as I can with these people. Um, and then calling them back over and over and over again. Eventually, we were able to find a block company that were back in our price range, but little did I know, um, they uh, they weren't going to be the best. And so they actually laid the block, but they had done it in such a way that the quality standard wasn't up to par, and it was missing some rebar. And so the city saw this and said, dude, these, these kids have no idea what they're doing. We're shutting them down. And that's the first time they shut us down. Once you see that red tag out on your building and you can't have your guys out there, it's incredibly motivating to do whatever you can to solve the problem, to get things moving again. Uh, so we did. Uh, we had a company come out and do like x-ray scans of the block. Turned out most of the rebar was in there, but there were a few pieces missing. So we got those replaced. And then uh, as we were building up, I think there was an issue with a header over an elevator shaft or something that we didn't have. It was installed properly, but we didn't have the right inspection for it. And so this was sort of the last draw for the city. And they said, all right, Mike, you are shut down and you need to now have to hire someone else to manage your project. You cannot be the manager of this. Boy, that is a humbling moment. Yeah, I think a lot of people think there's like a magic potion for like an emergency situation like that but it's often just like 
powering through, like deciding that you just gotta make it work. Um, and for Mike, I think he has such like a strong internal drive. Like that's what kept him going. It was, it was bad because how do I find someone of the right caliber to come out and do this project that fast? And the answer is you can't. Uh, I called a lot of people and I found someone willing to come out with a good resume. It came out within a week. So we were back up and running after about a week of being shut down. And uh, he was a good guy. His heart was in the right place, but he was not the caliber that we needed. And um, what we ended up doing is me and a few other staff would do all the work behind the scenes, but he would just sign off on it basically and hand it off to the city. But there was a, this was enough to give us some breathing room from the city because we were under a microscope the whole time because they didn't believe we were good enough. And so they were going to find all of our problems <laughs> and they definitely did. And then getting toward the end of the project, um, we had some major hurdles. And so one of the hurdles was the, the excavator took months to install this water main. It was, it was way too long. It was a few thousand feet long. It was several, it was like 15 feet in the ground. And uh, it had a water leak, but it was tiny. It was about the rate of one drip every maybe 15 seconds or something, just a little drip. But it was enough to detect in the test. And so we had no idea where it was. And thousands of feet, oh boy, we just started digging. It was awful. Uh, we found the water leak just, just in the nick of time. And we got to the end of the project. And the, the city staff, about three or four days in advance, one of the city staff members were out there and said, there's no way... There's no way you're going to open this building. So we have 36 units, new residents moving in. They need a place to live. Unless I can get the city staff to say, okay, that you've done a good enough job, what am I going to do? These people will not have a place to live. Um, so we worked, the entire team worked like virtually, through, oh, not quite through the night, but very late over or many nights in a row through the weekend. And... The final day came. The city inspectors came in. It was about half a dozen city inspectors for about a half a day looking at every detail of that building. And at the end, we were down in the parking garage and um, the head building official pulled me aside and looked at me and said, Mike, this is a rough project, but today, this opening, this is the best completion of a building that I have ever seen. This was finally that moment of like relief. Like the first moment I let myself think, well, maybe we are good enough. Maybe we can actually do this. Because this whole time it was failure after failure after failure. And this narrative going on in my head of, what do people think? Am I good enough? Am I doing this job? And all the response I was getting was, no, you're not good enough. But now we were. We could actually do what we set out to accomplish. And that was 
such a powerful moment for me in my life. When we come back, tackling the responsibilities of being a CEO is one thing, but tackling them while starting to grow a family, well, that's another thing entirely. Hey, it's Mike. Let's beat the banks at their own game. Traditional banks don't have great interest rates, but they charge businesses like Norhart higher rates and they keep all the profits. Why don't we cut out the middleman and connect directly, thus leaving more for both of us? Invest with us and earn fantastic interest rates. To learn more, visit norhart.com. That's N-O-R-H-A-R-T.com and click on invest. So if you're looking to grow your returns, then why not join Norhart Invest today and get more than you ever could at a bank? This is an offering by Norhart Invest. Investments can only be made through the Norhart Invest website. For more information, including the offering circular, please visit norhart.com forward slash invest. Mike and Alyssa had a hard road ahead of them. At work, they were putting in countless hours. At home, they were beginning to grow a family. Their first daughter, Claire, was born during the final phase of the Emberwood project. So many would question, how did they make it through? Um, well, like most things in life, trial and error. Honestly, um, a lot of error when Claire was first born. Um, and it's two-sided in that, um, you know, I thought I could do everything, right? I thought, okay, well, I can take care of a baby and still work 50 hours a week and do this and do that because I'm good at, like I said, powering through um, and whatnot. Um but you don't really understand what having a baby is until you have one. <laughs> um, and our first, she um, she had acid reflux, so she was very hard to settle. I had some postpartum issues. Um, you know, I thought, oh, I'm just in pain because I'm still healing. But then at 10 weeks postpartum, I was like, okay, I'm in more pain than I was in labor. Maybe I should go in. Well, I ended up having to do emergency gallbladder surgery um, at 10 weeks postpartum. And it was bad enough where like my liver was not functioning correct in the hospital for five days. Um, so we've had to learn how to work through those things. And that was a big point of contention between the two of us when that all happened. Because, you know, the unfortunate truth is while I was, you know, in the hospital and whatnot, like there's still a business to run. And it sounds, um, it sounds uncaring and harsh, but it's true. And I had a lot of help from family and friends, but I didn't have any help from Mike at that point. Um, um, yeah. And that was something we had to work through. Um, but I didn't say anything about it. Right. Cause I made it work. Um, but eventually, you know, around the time Claire was six months old, we just kind of had it out right about that, about some other things that had gone on. Um, and that's a lot of where the like resetting expectations came in. You know, we, we thought, you know, Oh, Alyssa will be in charge of the baby and Mike will be in charge of the business. But what ended up happening is I also was still doing a lot for the business and everything for the baby. And it just was not 
it was not the way it was going to be able to work. After the Emberwood project wrapped, Norhart moved toward building Gateway Green Apartments, which would greatly increase the total number of apartment units that Norhart managed. We started Gateway Green after we finished Emberwood, and we were at about 200 units at this point, and Gateway Green itself was another 84 units, taking us close to 300. We weren't expecting to do Gateway Green originally. Uh, a landowner came to me and offered to sell it, and they were trying to sell this property for a long period of time, and just couldn't, couldn't do it, uh, largely because it was part of a townhome association. And um, I kind of wrote it off, wrote it off, wrote it off, but eventually he offered us an, uh, a price that was amazing. It was probably the best price I will ever see in my life on land. And we ended up purchasing it and then going through the hard work of getting through all the approvals. Uh, we went to the townhome association and obviously they were not thrilled to have an apartment building in their development. But the reality was it had already been approved as an apartment site. And uh, we went back and forth for many months, in fact years, uh, through the design process. And it came down kind of to the final point where they said, well, no, we're, we're not interested in having this apartment here. We're just gonna reject it. I said, well, okay, uh, we have legal right to build it. And so this is the point where I, uh, we started filing for um, a lawsuit uh, because we had every legal right to build this building. And then they came back and said, oh, wait, now we're willing to let you build it. And I pulled them aside and said, why do we do that? What, what was the whole point of this? And um, they just told me in that moment that, uh, that it was all about um, pushing us as far as we could to get as much out of us as they could. So I appreciated the honest answer, but it gave me another life lesson about how some people behave in the market. Um, we got approval on that one. I remember going to the city council at the time and uh, our approval process on this landed right when, uh, right, you know, right after my dad had actually passed away. And um, I didn't mention anything about my dad to the city council, but they knew him and uh, I didn't do it because I didn't want it to sway or, or people's votes or somehow give me sympathy for approving the project. Um, but I remember some of the city council members coming to me afterward because uh, they had heard and uh, just, just giving me their condolences for what had happened. And it meant a lot to me in that moment. So going into Gateway Green, we really just started to think about how can we elevate the experience for our residents? And at this time, the smart technologies were becoming very popular, and we decided to investigate and dig deeply into, can we create a smart apartment, uh, was sort of the dream. So we started building out a variety of technologies. We had a team of software developers, and I can remember one of the technologies at that point that we were working on was uh, internet for the residents. Now, it doesn't sound all that novel, but the idea was that residents had to come in and sign up for the internet. internet. They had to sign up for their, uh, their utilities and the heat and the, and the gas and all of that. And we just added friction to that experience rather than just being able to just move in. And so we built out a bunch of technologies to make all that a reality. The residents didn't have to sign up for anything. They had it immediately available upon move-in, which was great. 
It turns out making that a reality is really challenging. And during this time, um, that was one of the bigger challenges we were facing as our software development team wasn't producing exactly what we needed to make that happen. And so one of my strengths, but also a weakness is that I can get really focused on a particular task and uh, that can help solve that task. But at the same time, uh, it means I ignore a lot of other things. But at this time, I just had it just jumped right into it to solve uh, some of these technological issues we're having. And it was um, round the clock work programming to for these technologies. It's just part of our nature, part of our culture is that we just simply want to innovate. We want to push the ball forward. We want to elevate experiences for our residents because it's just, it's just fundamentally awesome to do it. This constant focus on improving the lives of their tenants through technology required vast amounts of Mike's time and attention to pull off. You know, one of my biggest strengths and the flip side of weakness is my drive toward results. And I can be very dominant in that sense and really push hard. And I can get really laser focused, driving deep into a particular problem and, and maximizing and solving that problem. But at the same time, then I can miss the wider picture, right? I may have solved A, but B, C, D, and E are all on fire. And so that doesn't benefit the business. So I've had to, I've had to be a little bit more cognizant of that fact and not get so pulled into any one particular issue. Or if I do, to make sure I have the right people beside me so they can solve the other issues. There was a really tough project that we were working on. Uh, we were actually building out a, an internet service for our residents. We were building out a whole internet service provider. And we had a number of programmers working on it, but it just it just wasn't clicking. The team wasn't getting things figured out. And so I had to jump in to help support that team. And so it was the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed, just programming as fast and as hard as I can because we've got this deadline, the building's open. And residents without internet, that just that sounds terrible. I think people will be very upset with us. And so uh, my wife is, was as supportive as she could be. And I remember um, one day we were out doing a family outing. My wife said, yeah, you can you can program in the car as I drive to the event. Even that half an hour was, was helpful to get things done. And so I was doing that. And while she was driving, um, she almost got hit by another car. And she got very, it was, it was traumatic for her. It was a very nerve-wracking moment. And I didn't see it. I just missed it, right? I was so into what I needed to get done. I, like my brain couldn't even process anything else. And so we, we pulled off um, and her dad came out to see her. And my wife's just about, and I, I learned this later. I didn't even understand it in the moment. Wife is just just about in tears, and uh, I found out later that her dad was unbelievably upset with me. He wanted to throw me out of the car into the snow because uh, I was being a deadbeat husband in some ways in that moment. And what's what made that moment even more intense, or just looking back at it, is that her dad is the nicest person. In the entire world, he doesn't get upset about anything. Uh, and uh, to know that 
I upset her and then I upset him in the way that I did and not to find out about it till a while later, um, it, it rocked my world and it made me recognize I've got to make sure that even if my life is intense, that when something is important to my wife or my family, that I've got to stop and focus on them uh, over what I'm doing. We saw a therapist for just a couple sessions, but we learned enough from her to be able to help like solve things on our own. Um, solve, you know, is everything always solved? No, but to, you know, get some more tools in our toolbox, if you will, to figure out things. Um, he still works more than I would like on the weekend, especially. Um, but, you know, we do also try to do things like we try to do a couple family vacations a year, you know, where we're totally, you know, just us um, time together. Because um, other than like a true like out of town, he doesn't just take PTO days, you know, <laughs> that's just not something he does. Even holidays, like he takes the major holidays off, but like what we joke like fake holidays, like the lesser ones, like he ends up usually still working. Um, so, um, yeah, so I think we've worked through that. It's an ongoing process. I'm trying to think how to say this. Um, I guess choosing, like making the choice that this is your life and this is how you're okay living it, right? Um, because it wouldn't work for everyone else, right? Um, I know I've got, you know, friends with kids who are much more, especially if both parents are like full-time working, um, they tell me things like, oh, I could never, I could never do it if my husband worked that much or this or that or the other. Um, but just remembering like you are the only person in your situation and the only one who can decide what works for your family. Um, even if it comes with blowback. I mean, I get that from family and friends saying I should do things differently. But at the end of the day, you know, it's our family. So we got to do what will work for us. While the parallels between the last generation of Katings and this generation of Katings were very obvious, Alyssa was keenly aware that the situation she and Mike faced in those early days of running the business on their own was different than what Ed and Brenda faced when they founded the company all those years ago. For her and Ed and the boys being so involved in the business and working a lot, it's because they didn't have a choice, right? Um, they were trying to survive. They didn't have family close by that could watch the boys easily. So... Um, it's what they had to do. Um, for Mike and I at this point, um, we've done enough other successful projects that it's not something we have to continue doing, right? Um, you know, and our, our kids don't have to be out there working with us. Well, although Mike has been joking that it's about time Claire gets a job and she's five, you know, <laughs> starts contributing or whatnot. Um, but um, I guess I do share some of that fear. Um, Brenda likes to talk about how they were good about doing the big things, like 
they would go similar and like they would go on a couple big like family vacations a year and do that. Um, but she said they didn't do a lot of fun things like day to day, like go to the zoo or do a movie night or things like that just because they didn't have the time. Um, so I know I try to do more of those things with the girls. A lot of times Mike can't come with um, just the more day to day kind of stuff. So that's that's a balance we're still trying to figure out, I would say. Because um, I can, it's a valid fear, you know. You know, in an age when the life expectancy is 80 years old, you don't always think about, well, what if I only live till I'm 60? You know, that's 20, 20 years, you know, Ed didn't get. You know, and what if, what if that happens to Mike? What if that happens to me? It is something that I've thought about as well. When we come back, Mike and Alyssa discuss the drive to push Norhart beyond what Ed and Brenda could have imagined. Hey, it's Mike. Passive income is one of this year's hottest buzzwords, but what is it? Well, passive income is when the elite make money and the rest of us sleep. Here at Norhart, we decided to open up this opportunity to everyone by giving you the chance to invest with us and earn fantastic interest rates without doing a thing. To learn more, visit norhart.com. That's N-O-R-H-A-R-T.com and click on invest. So if you're looking to grow your returns, then why not join Norhart Invest today and see what you can build towards. This is an offering by Norhart Invest. Investments can only be made through the Norhart Invest website. For more information, including the offering circular, please visit norhart.com forward slash invest. What keeps you pushing beyond when you could accept what's already considered by society a phenomenal level of success? That's what keeps driving Mike Kating. <laughs> My wife asks me that question quite regularly. Like, aren't you just happy? <laughs> You know, we've done a lot of uh, good in our little area of the world. Wouldn't it be easier just to be happy with that? And for me, the answer is just no. And the reason that is, is because I've only been given one life. And for me, I, I want to use that life to its fullest potential. And that, that does not mean sitting on a beach with uh, just looking at the waves. That, that sounds kind of boring to me. I want to use my life to make the biggest impact that I can. I, I don't, that's sort of how I'm wired, but just don't want to waste it. Um, especially as the years went on, and even right now, um, it's the other people that work with us, right? So if we were to shut down expanding things, you know, people that help run existing operations would still have jobs. But most of our staff now is construction-based. And some of those guys have worked for us for, we've got one friend that still works for us, you know, since the start, like 13 years. Um, so if we're not building, none of those people have jobs. And so we we don't want that on our conscience. Um, 
Yeah. So that's, that's truly the main thing. Probably the biggest one for me is the focus on people rather than outcomes. Um, and this is just the heart, the making people feel like I actually care about them, their family, their lives, them as a, as a person, uh, rather than some kind of just pong and overall chessboard. And so it's, it's little things I've had to very consciously learn to do. Just last night, I texted a, several employees that just just little compliments and, and thanks for what they had been doing and the energy they put into a project. Um, but that's not natural for me. Uh, I think uh, what people will say is that I, I tend to be a little bit awkward <laughs> uh, in group settings and with with people. Uh, I don't, uh, I'm not the, the big comfortable teddy bear in the room. I'm the, the awkward guy, the awkward math guy in the corner <laughs> creating some equation to solve something. And I've had a really fight past that because in my position, the most important thing I've got to do well is support the people. I'm very much a, a live and let live that I want to support you in whatever way that support is best for you. Uh, and that has shaped the way I lead and the, sh the way I interact with people in society is we all come from different walks of life. We all have different perspectives on the, on the views of the world. And as a result, like that's okay. And that, that variation and that difference actually makes us stronger together. And so I want to celebrate that and I want to support each person in their own journey and whatever that looks like for them. I'm a hundred percent on board with that. Um, and I think if people have that degree of support, our society is going to be better. I think in many ways, many of the, the problems we face within society is the fact that we aren't supportive of one another, that we look at each, at each other's differences like they're bad and they really aren't, they're great. And now Mike would also say it's the, you know, the bigger vision of trying to improve the housing market, trying to get costs down so it's more affordable to live places. Um, you know, it, it would be nice if we could solve, not solve, but play a part in helping, you know, the housing affordability crisis. I have a lot of friends who feel like they're stuck renting, but then they their rent is so high they can't save for a house. Um, so it'd be nice if, you know, we could still provide units at a price where people could actually save. And if they want to buy a house, they could eventually. Or if, you know, they want to stay, you know, there there is an appeal to having the landlord take care of things, but then to still have enough, you know, disposable income to do other things, right? Whatever is important to them, to travel or whatever that might be. Um, so, I mean, it would be nice to play a part in that. Um, as we invest that into new pieces of equipment, new warehouses, things that can help with the cost even further. So um, it just takes time, which is hard, you know, if right now you're in a hard situation, but hopefully we can be a part of helping, helping that and helping a lot of people.
You know, one of my favorite quotes is, we choose to go to the moon, not because it is easy, but because it is hard. And I love that quote because even though I know the space race is going on, why do we fundamentally go to the moon? It's because it's freaking awesome to say that we went to the moon. And that's the kind of energy and spirit that we have here and that we want to be. But, you know, you can't make a true change if it's on a small scale, right? You know, if you build, you know, one building and you can charge a little bit less rent, that's great. But what if you have a whole machine like they're trying to do to really build enough units to make enough of a difference where it actually affects the marketplace? That's a whole different whole different scheme. And you and you need you need the team to do that. So if you want to have a shot at changing the world, if you want to have a shot at becoming a unicorn, you you need to have that drive, that energy, that passion to want to make that kind of impact. If you don't have that heart and soul behind you, it's going to be very hard to wake up in the morning to tackle another big problem or to deal with the major issues that hit you from day to day. The only way you can sustain that meaningfully over, over the long term is to want to be a part of that. Yeah, I mean, uh, he was kind of solving those problems. And, and I think for him, it was the first time he had to really step into that role of kind of leading the company. And well, I was fortunate enough not have to worry about it, but he he able he, he took it and he figured it out. He, he got everything kind of solved. Um, and, you know, even post uh, post my dad's death, he was able to kind of work everything out and, and, and put it in such a way that, that neither my mom or my or you know any of us in the family had to, had to deal too much with any of the stuff that was going on. So I'm very appreciative of my brother figuring that out because without him, like this, none of this would have happened. None of it would be what it is today. We, we could have never, we could never have dreamed in those early days that um, the caisson would turn into more heart and to be what it is today wasn't even on our radar not at all and and yes i'm, I'm extremely proud of what has happened but it's a different company than what we started it's it's different because of um, you know we were small we were you know it, we, we were more of a family that kind of built that did this um, and now it's a, a company. It's a huge company. So it's very different. I'm, I'm very proud of what, what has happened and where, where it is, um, but it's very different than what we would have done. Next time on Zero to Unicorn, if you want to be the best, you have to hire the best. We hear more from Norhart's growing team.